0: Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. God is good. I need you to practice on that. It's going to be practical today. I need you to, when you're in your quiet time with God, I want you to start just out loud telling him how much you love him. I don't know what your background is. I don't know all of you and all your backgrounds religiously or denominationally or whatever. And this, that may be like, oh, that's a little out there for me. Get out there then. Come on. Come on. You want God to move in your life. You want God to show up in your life. Get out there. Peter did not receive the miracle of walking on water till he stepped out of the boat. Stop asking God to do that kind of miracle in your life and stay in the boat. You can't stay in the boat and walk on the water at the same time. Come on. If you want God to move like that in your life, step out of your boat. And a good step in that direction is lifting your hands to worship Him. A good step in that direction is saying praises to His name out loud for all to hear. Come on, somebody. Say amen. Just trying to teach you. Just trying to teach you. So, today we're going to get right into our message. Thank you, Danny, for hearing the voice of the Lord and just sharing that with us today. I know that was an Im- impacting thing to all of us. Um, we're going to talk today, continue our series, Faith for Your Family. Today, I want to talk to you about the idea of focusing on your family's faith. Focusing on your family's faith. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is our text. It's on the screen. Read it together with me, if you will. Everyone, read it. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. You can be seated. Now, a few weeks ago, we were doing IHeart Canyon. And I just want you to know family can be funny. Family can be funny. Amen. How many of you have had any funny experiences with your family? How many of you have had any extremely awkward experiences with your family? How many of you have had experiences with your family that you dare not tell? I'm just telling you, my wife right now is thinking, he better not tell this, he better not tell this, he better not tell... Come on, it can be that awkward, amen? So the other day we were riding around at I Heart Canyon and uh, me and one of our, uh, one of my pastor friends here in town were riding around in a, in a go-kart picking people up and taking them to the festival... And so my little uh, granddaughter, Lindley, wanted to ride with me. And so, you know, she's such a sweet girl and just so full of life and so excitable. And if you've ever met Lindley, you know what I'm talking about. Don't even try to keep up. You will not be able to do it. And uh, she, she was riding around with me and she was just talking nonstop. How many have a five-year-old? How many of you know that there's no stop button on the talky talk? I mean, it just they just want to talk, they want to talk, and they want to talk, talk all the time, and they want to talk even when you're talking, and you could be talking to someone else, and they think what they have to say is important to that situation, so they just want to talk, and they don't know or realize or recognize, hey, it's not okay for you just to step into a conversation with two grown adults and just start talking to one of those adults. It's not okay. So we had to teach our kids this, and it's something I'm going to teach you today how to do. But I, I tried to use this on her because honestly. I was real prideful and I was going to show this other pastor friend of mine how awesome my little granddaughter is and Uh, Let me just tell you, you know, pride comes before a fall. Let's just say that. And so we're driving around, and she's making comments and saying things, and we're trying to talk, and finally I said, Lindley, do you remember the interrupt rule? Now, what the interrupt rule is is we taught our kids, and we're teaching Lindley now is when two adults are talking and you're a child or a young person, you want to talk to your parent or grandparent, you come up to them and you put your hand on their arm and they know you're there, and by they'll do this to let you know you're there. They know you're there. They put your hand on them. So that tells the child, look, in a moment when I'm finished talking, I will talk to you. But until then, you stand there and you wait because that's what you're supposed to do. That's rude to just jump into a conversation. So I've been working on this principle with Lindley, and uh, it's not one she's T- totally okay with. She she wants to talk. So so she's been getting better and better at it. So I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to show this guy. And so, so she keeps talking and I'm like, we're, we're talking. I said, listen, Lindley, you remember the interrupt rule? She said, yes. And I said, use the interrupt rule. And she said, okay. And so she puts her hand on my arm. And so he and I just continue to talk. And as we're talking, uh, I can notice she's starting to her arm's starting to move, and she's starting to twitch a little bit. And then finally, she just starts talking, just right out. I di- Poppy, I just need to tell you, and Poppy, Poppy, Poppy. And, and, of course, Darren's just giggling over there. And I look at her, and I say, Lindley, I don't think you understand the interrupt rule. And she said, oh, I understand, and I said, you know you're supposed to put your hand on me. I put my hand on you, and I'll, t- I'll turn to you, and I'll talk to you when it's time. And she said, I understand, Poppy. You're just taking way too long. <laughs> of course, my friend busts out laughing. He's like, oh, yeah, right. It does work <laughs> if you train them for a long time and work really hard at it. So, uh, but it's so funny. Our families can be so funny. And sometimes it's hard, it's difficult, because family problems, especially nowadays, go much deeper than interrupting a conversation. And family problems nowadays are faced with things in our culture that are really scaring us and freaking us out, and we don't understand or know what to do. And, and I've just really been praying. We've been praying a lot. This is why the Lord's speaking to us with these things, is because we've just been really seeking the face of God. We've really been spending a lot of hours in prayer. And God's really been given some breakthrough, and I I sense that there's something powerful coming, and I really believe that. And I want you to set your faith with us that that Summit Church is going to move in the direction that God has for us, and that we're going to see the kind of growth that we're believing God to give us. We're going to see souls saved in mass. I really believe it. And I believe we're going to see exponential growth at some point in the near future, just simply because I believe God's moving among us. And I just want to encourage you that if you're, if you're a person who is tired of being nominal and you're tired of being average, a, a mediocre Christian, you're tired of letting the world play you like they're playing you. And so many Christians today are struggling with everything that's going on, but we're not doing the appropriate things to fix it. And so, you, if you weren't here last week, uh, it was just kind of a family meeting, and I apologize if you weren't here. We're not; it's not something we're going to put on video for the whole world. But it was, it was. It, it, just ask somebody who was here, and I believe God spoke to us, and I believe that God said to us and gave us an opportunity. He's giving us a choice, just like what Danny is talking about right here. He's giving us a choice. He's saying, you can stand back there, way back there, out of the water. You can stand way back there and say, oh, isn't that beautiful? Isn't God beautiful? Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he awesome? But I really don't want to get wet. I'm not going in there because I don't want to commit my life to that level. I don't want that kind of effect on me. I don't want it to go that far. And what God is saying is we're living in a time where you can't have it both ways. You can't say, I want this to stop in our culture, the, all this immorality and all of this change and all of this re- re- relative uh, ideas of, about truth. We want that to stop, but, but we're, we're not going to do the things necessary for it to stop. We just want it to stop. And so all of us have got to get our, uh, our understanding of what it means to focus our family's faith. And and, and so today, uh, I'm going to do my best to just speak to you over the next few minutes about that, about practically focusing your family's faith and understanding how to do it. And and like last week, I'm just going to say this. I'm going to give you a little disclosure that there are going to be some things in this that are going to encourage you, but there are going to be some things in this that challenge you. And and here's what I want to say to you, Christians, believers, followers of Christ— I want to say this to you, and I want you to understand it. When God lays a challenge before us, it, it isn't just to make you feel challenged. It's to bring change in your life. And when we, listen, there's something that God's been speaking to me is that when we say no to God, one of the reasons that we're so cold spiritually as believers, and you say, are we really? Yes, we really are. The whole church world in the Western world right now is struggling with this really mediocre spiritual walk. And, and, and in order for that to change, God has to challenge us. But let me tell you why that happens. Because the Bible says that, he tells the children of Israel in Galatians, Paul says, don't harden your hearts to God like they did in the wilderness. The children of, they, they had to stay in the wilderness because they hardened their hearts to God. Well, what causes our hearts to be hard towards God? When we constantly say no to God. When we say, no, I don't want to do the things you've asked me to do. No, I don't want to do the things your word says. I know that's what your word says, but I'm not going to go along with that right now because I, I want to live my life. No, God, I know you're leading me to talk to that person or share my faith. No, God, I know that you're wanting me to make this move in my business because it, it's, it's the way to prosper. It's the way to help people or whatever. And, 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 and every time we say, no, God, I really don't have time to pray today or no, God, I really don't have time to go to church. We've got so much going this week or no, God, I can't really get in the Bible this week because every time you say no, you need to understand every time we reject the holy spirit pricking our hearts every time it hardens it a little more until when we hear the holy spirit or we read the word and it used to you remember when you'd read the word and it would just fly off the page at you and you'd say oh my god the lord really spoke to me but when that doesn't happen it's because you've hardened yourself against the sensitivity of that If you really want to hear the voice of God, you do the opposite. Every time God speaks to you or the word speaks to you or in prayer, you get an impression. You obey that, you'll become more and more sensitive to what God wants in your life. That's just the way it works. That's what the Bible is saying when it says faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. It means, in other words, the more you study the word of God, the more your spiritual ears open up to hear the revelation of the word of God. Are you with me? Everybody say amen just so I know you're still awake. So in the scripture it says fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Leading your family to focus on their faith doesn't just happen. It's necessary to be consistently intentional, purposeful, generational impartation. That's what we're trying. We're trying to use our consistent, intentional faith of our own to deposit it into the purposeful, generational impartation to our family. Think of Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob. Think of that Old Testament way that they did things. Think Think of how Paul talks to Timothy. Listen here in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2 through 7, how Paul talks to Timothy. To Timothy, my dear uh, son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as ancestors did, uh, as my ancestors did with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And then he says something very important. I am reminded, Timothy, he's talking to Timothy, who is a pastor that he's installed to pastor this church. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. In other words, what Paul is saying is there was an intentional impartation of faith from his grandmother Lois to his mother Eunice and then to him as a young man I don't know where his dad was in all this I know his dad was Greek so I don't know if his dad was a Christian at that time but I know this I know that his grandmother and his mother imparted intentionally faith into his life and Paul is recognizing that here For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power. How many of you want your kids and the teenagers in your life and the young adults in your life and the children in your life that when they face trials and tribulations in their future, when they get older, you want them to turn to the word. You want them to have the power of God in their life. You want them to be able to speak to those situations and see them change. You want them to be able to make it through. Well, that doesn't happen unless there is an intentional impartation of faith to them. You can't fan the flame if no flame has been lit. So I want to give you today three ways to focus on your faith. So I would encourage you, if you're here and you're not taking notes right now, start taking notes. You, you know, the, the, somebody said history makers are note takers. Come on, somebody. That's the truth. Because when we write things down and we study on them, instead of just hearing a little word and going home and saying, well, that was a good little word. No, we study on it. We ruminate over it. We meditate on it and let God put it down deep in our hearts. So three ways to focus on your faith. E- everyone say this after me. Seeking. That's prayer. Studying, everyone say it. Studying. Say, studying. Scripture. And then serving is the church. Say, serving. So the first one is seeking, and this is prayer. Now, now you say, well, this is, this is so rudimentary, Pastor David. This is, is, this is so base level Christianity. That's what you always say, read, study, and pray. That's what you're always supposed to say because you're the pastor. Can I tell you something? When this church is so full that we're having to add service after service, when this church is so full that these chairs are going back to the walls and opening up into the lobby, when this church is so full, I'll stop talking about these things. Because what it says is that if we really want our life to be everything God wants it to be, we got to start here. And if we start here and we actually get this down, it'll change your life. It'll change your family. It'll change your neighborhood. It'll change your city. It'll change your world. Period. Everybody say amen. Y'all can't talk back to me. If you're learning anything, something, there's something said that, that was good, just say it. Say it out loud. Say amen, pastor. That was good. It'll keep me going. And it also keeps me short. Yeah, 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 I hear you. I hear you. I was meaning it keeps me five foot nine. I'm going to preach for a long, long time. No. Jeremiah chapter 29, 13 says this in the NIV. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Listen, we want God to show up in our life, and he's teaching us right here how to seek him. We want Him to show up in our life, but when's the last time we sought Him with all of our heart? But isn't that what Jesus said the greatest commandment was? To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I think that sometimes we relegate Christ to a compartment in our life. And we say to ourselves, well, I'll do all my life and then I'll give what I can to Jesus. And what we need to understand is if we really want God, if we really want the waterfall, if we really want the presence of God to be all over our life and all over what he wants and his call and his cause to be coming through our life, we have to understand, listen, it's about pursuing him, seeking him with all of your heart. That's how you seek him. Matthew 6.33 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. And this is the results of seeking him. The truth is we've gotten that one flipped too we spend far too much time seeking for all those things what he was saying to them is you know gentiles or unsaved people outsiders of the faith they think about money and clothes and things and stuff that's what they think about you don't need to worry about that that's what he says he says if you'll seek me 1st I'll call those things to chase you. You stop chasing those things, and you start chasing me, and I'll make those things chase you. If you want your life to be blessed, and not just blessed in a financial way, but you want your life to be blessed, your family to be blessed, your kids to be blessed, your your spouse to be blessed, you to be blessed, then you start following God with your whole self. Seek, everybody say this word with me, seek first. Everyone say it again, seek First, not second, not third, not last, not sometime when you get time. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, it says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And in the Greek, this is a continuing verb. So it really should read this way. Ask and continue to ask and, and, and it will be given to you. Seek and continue to seek and you will find. Knock and continue to knock and the door will be open to you. And this is talking about the persistence of seeking him. You don't seek God one time. This is not an event. This is a continual lifestyle of how do I become what God wants me to become? How do I become the manifestation of his will on this earth? Seeking him is all about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 through 13 in the message. I love the way this reads in the message. So just it's the Lord's Prayer, but we're going to read it both ways. And when you come before God, don't turn, a theatrical, don't turn it into a theatrical production. All these people making a regular show out of their prayers, hoping for stardom. Do you think God sits in a box seat? Here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. And the focus will shift away from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. The world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with. He knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Do what's best So uh, as above, so below. Keep us alive with three square meals. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe from ourselves and the devil. You're in charge. You can do anything you want. You're a blazing beauty. Yes, yes, yes. This is how we should pray. He's telling us, listen, he's not, he's not talking about corporate prayer. He's talking about your personal prayer. And in those days, in religious circles, in a religious establishment, they like to get all dressed up and go stand on a street corner and just pray these elaborate prayers. Because it wasn't about talking to God at all. It was about being seen as being extra and amazingly religious. And God is saying, listen, prayer is not that. Prayer is a conversation with me. Prayer is getting quiet before me. Prayer is seeking my face. Prayer is allowing my spirit to move on your life. Prayer is far more than just asking me for stuff. Prayer is about us communing and coming into relationship. I remember early on in my ministry, I would pray every day and then I would get up on Sunday and I would expect God to give me a paycheck for prayer. Like give me the anointing when I preach as a result of all that time I spent in prayer. And God, one time when I was praying, he just impressed upon my heart, David, you've got this all wrong. You're not becoming more anointed as a paycheck. You don't deserve the anointing. I wasn't giving you the anointing because you earned it. He said, when you pray, you're communing with me. And the more you get around someone, you know, we all know that we become more like the people we associate with. We take on their characteristics. We take on their personalities. We take on their verbiage. It's community. And God said to me, when you commune with me, you just start becoming more like me. And because I am the anointed one, the anointing increases in your life because you're spending time with me, not because you earned it from me. Are you with me? We need to pray to God because it's an opportunity to talk to him. Matthew 6, verse 9 through 13 in the New King James reads this way. In this manner, before therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Praise your name like we were doing earlier. Your kingdom come. Your will be done, which is an inference that not my will, your will. You bring your way, your kingdom into my life. It's not about what I want, God. It's about what you want. When you make decisions, when you're deciding on where to go and what to do and what your life should be about, it's not your will you're wanting, it's his will. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. He provides for us. He apportions to us our needs to be met every day. You just have to extend your faith to get it. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Oh, let's not be a person who gets forgiveness but doesn't give it. And do not let, lead us into temptation. There's a better translation here is lead us away from temptation. But deliver us from the devil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. So what does this look like practically, I talked about my grandfather last week, but there's one thing I remember about my grandparents' home, it didn't matter when you went, it didn't matter if, it were, if you were, if you had if you'd stayed too late and you need to get home because it's, it's time to get home and I'm tired and I got to go to work the next day, it didn't matter if you were on some kind of holiday and everybody was about to leave and go home, every night, every night it didn't matter what, everyone in the family, Janae can tell you this, when we went, we would go to holidays, this happened all the time. Every, they would say, Well, before we leave, let's pray. And, and so I know what you're imagining in your mind. You're imagining in your mind, everybody grab hands and say the Lord's Prayer or some real quick prayer, and then we'll go. No, no, it wasn't that. It was everybody got down on their knees and they bent over a couch or they bent over a, a recliner or they bent over where, whatever was close to them, and we started calling out to God God, save our friends. God, save our family. God, this person needs to be healed. God, would you heal him? God, give protection and provision over our family. God, we want to do your will more than we want to do anything. And this is the training that I got, not as a pastor, but as a grandson. See, this is what it looks like, and, 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 and if we really want to establish prayer in the life of our family and focus our family's faith, then we have to do some things, and the first thing we have to do is we have to mandate, we have to model, and we have to mold. The mandate here is it's something we do, period. It's our culture. We pray together. You as a spouse, you need to pray together. You as a family, you need to pray together. Don't let all your kids go into their rooms and play their games and watch their TVs and get their homework done and let them believe that every, all of that is way more important than talking to the Father. But instead, gather them around, even if it's for a few minutes, and say, we're going to pray together. And we're not going to pray some little churchy prayer, and by churchy, I mean little religious, little you know, go-through-the-motions prayer. No, we're going to pray for real and, and what's going on in your life? What are you dealing with? And I'm so tired of us trying to deal with bullies. by Let's have this technique and that technique. You ever tried prayer? Yeah. Listen, the Holy Spirit can do a lot more than any method or methodology or counseling or situation. I'm not against counselors. I'm not against methods. I'm not against the way the world does things in some of those ways. But let me just tell you something. Don't end with prayer. Start with prayer. Don't don't say there's nothing else I can do so I'm going to go to God. No, say, hey, look, before I do anything else, I'm going to God. Let's get God involved in this. So when I go to counseling, God's revelation, His Holy Spirit is uh, guiding that counseling. Amen? Come on, whatever the case may be, before I go to the doctor, I believe in medicine and I believe in doctors, but come on, let's get God involved. I want God to take me to the right doctor. I want God to open the right door. I want God to get... When my, when our daughter was born dead, our doctor walked into the room at 7 a.m. and he said, I feel like something's wrong. We need to pray. And he walked over to my wife's belly and he laid his hands on her belly and he began to pray. He began to pray and pray and pray. And then as a result of that, we had a daughter that was born with a, 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 a dead. She tailored this girl sitting right here is about to have another baby. She was born completely dead. 15 minutes. No, scores, no oxygen, no heartbeat, nothing. She was dead. But because we put God first, there was a moment where her doctors, her pediatrician wasn't even supposed to be there. She said, I just woke up this morning and I felt like I was supposed to be in that room. And she would not stop. And after all of that, God, they, brought, they brought this stuff to us, and you need to be watching for this and you need to be watching for that. But no, but there sets a miracle right there. Why? Because we say, before you do anything else, go first to God. It's a culture, it's a mandate. This is not what we maybe do or we might do or we should do. It is what we do as a family. It's what we do. <laughs> Having problems at school, let's pray. Having problems with a friend, let's pray. The, th- the second thing is we have to model it, show them how to do it. The third thing is show them how to do it. Sh- show, I'm going to say it again: model it, show them how to do it. Well, I don't. I'm sure I'm. Ha- I know how to do it. Read your Bible, ask your pastor, figure it out, model it. The third thing is train them, show them. Here, here's how training them looks like: training them in prayer. Show them how to do it. Do it with them, and then let them show you how to do it. There's there's not a more powerful prayer than when your kid lays their hands on you and prays for you. Second thing is study scripture. Oh, I'm well within time. Y'all don't even have to worry about it today. Study scripture. Studying. Seeking. Studying. Serving. I've got to hurry. We know about studying scripture. Yes, and and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This Bible is not just a hard book to read. If you're thinking it's a hard book to read, you are confused. It's written literally at an elementary level. You can understand this book if you stop making it so complicated and stop feeling like it's the drudgery. How is it that you can go read any other book and it doesn't bother you at all? You seem to be able to do it just fine. But when you come to the Bible, you struggle because there is an enemy of your soul that does not want you to listen to this. He does not want you to hear it. He doesn't want this to be live and active in your life. But it's time for the church of Jesus Christ to get back where we needed to be in the beginning. We need to get back to the word. Stop listening to Oprah. Stop listening to philosophies of the world. Stop listening to everything that comes out educationally and start listening to Jesus. He gave us this book so we would read it and it's not just a book it's a revelation of his will for our lives and gets inside of you and changes you from the inside out. Come on, somebody. you got to understand, we love the Word. We love this book. I watched some people in China who can't readily get this book, and I watched a video where the Bibles were brought to them in a box, and I literally watched these people... Th- scammer around and try to get that box open and pull those bibles out and when they pull those bibles out they were literally hugging those bibles and they were kissing those bibles and they were crying tears of joy and celebrating because they were having to pass around pages there are people in china who know whole books of the bible because they have to memorize it because they don't know the next time they're going to see it on paper And we have it. We have Look, they're free to you right back here. Just go right back here and grab one. Get into your word. Come on, people. You want to have victory in your life? Get into the Bible. You want to have overcoming ability in your life? Get into the Bible. You want your life to prosper? Get into the Bible. You want your kids to be saved? Get into the Bible. So what does this look like practically? The word changed my life. I tried to serve God many times, but it was when I really got serious about the Word of God that it changed my life. So we need to mandate it. We need to model it. We need to mold it. You mean force our kids to read it? No, but just make it a part of your culture that this is who we are, this is what we do. I'm I'm telling you right now, Christians are not holding on to their victory over sin in life right now because of this right here. They're not studying the Bible. If I were to tell you the statistics of believers not studying the Bible today, it would shock you. It would shock you. But then again, we all know in our own lives how much we actually spend in the Bible. So the first thing is if we mandate it, it's who we are and it's what we do. You know, it's a parable of the foundation. Remember what Jesus said? He said, the man that built his house on a rock is a man who hears the word and does it. The man who builds his house on the sand is a man who hears the word but doesn't do it. And this is what Jesus is talking to us. If you want your family to have folks faith, if you want your family to be on a foundation where when the winds come and the storms come, they turn to God and they don't fall over and they don't, aren't destroyed, well, then you need to get them on the foundation of the word, which means train them to study the word and to do it. Everybody say amen. The second thing is, the, the model is we read the word with them. We speak the word around them. We live the word in front of them. Wouldn't it be awesome in our families with our spouses and if our kids, every time we face a trouble or every t- time we face a problem, we start declaring the word of God over that. You're an overcomer. Your kid comes home and says, I'm, I'm defeated. I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm not making it. I'm not cutting it. Or I've got some problem with the relationship. Or I've got some issue with the teacher. And you speak to them. Instead of speaking your lame words that aren't going to matter to much, you start speaking the word of God. You are, you have the wisdom of God. The Bible says in James, Let any man who lacks wisdom ask of God and he'll give it to every man liberally. Oh, I'm defeated or I'm overcome. Listen, it's time we stopped being so trivial and using the Lord's Prayer for sports and started getting real about what our kids are really going through. Your kids are facing issues that you never had to face and you better start learning to declare the word of God over their life. You are an overcomer, not by your own efforts, but by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. You are more than a conqueror, the Bible says, through Jesus Christ who loves you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit because the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Come on, somebody. we got to train our kids. we got to get back into the Word. I can't do it for you. No one else can do it for you. Your parents' generation aren't going to raise from the dead and do it for you. You have to have your own faith, and you have to intentionally impart this faith to your generations. Woo, that's good. Somebody say amen. Amen. Find creative ways to inspire them to study the word. There's so many tools now, it's ridiculous. Go ask anybody on our staff. They can give you a a million tools to to make it creative for your kids to learn the word. Listen, if you say, well, my kids don't want to learn, that's an excuse. You're not trying hard enough. If you tried as hard to get your kids to love the word as you do taking them around to all their activities, your kids would be scholars in the Bible. Oh, don't look at me mad. You know it's true. You know it's true. Number three, serve the church. Serving. This is about the church. Now, we want them to get to that place. We want your whole family to get that place where you're serving in the house. But not just serving the ministry of the house in terms of just Sundays. We want on the weekends and youth ministries and kids ministries and, 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 and all of our first impressions teams and our creative teams to be full with people who have said, that's my gifting and I want to use it for the kingdom. But it's also serving the church in this way. You need to understand you are the church. You go to church and you serve the church. I know I've heard these, I've heard these mindsets of you don't go to church, you are the church. You may be the church, but you also go to church. And some of these strange mindsets in the church is what have caused believers to believe they don't need to be in the church. And that is a lie from the devil, and I don't care if a Christian told you that. They are lying to you. God wants you in the house of God. Hebrews says, don't, even as you see Jesus approach it, I think we're closer to Jesus coming than it was years ago when it was written. Amen? How many of you agree with that? Now, Jesus said, when you get closer to that day, please do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And you have to understand, the church in that day, they were meeting every day in houses to talk about Jesus. And they were going to the temple every weekend to worship God. We need to understand you are the church, you go to church, and you serve the church. How many of you have ever heard of the Ten Commandments? Okay, so two people in our church have heard of the Ten Commandments. I must not be doing my job. I'm going to say it again. How many of you have heard of the Ten Commandments? There's a commandment among the 10 that I think we have forgotten no I'm going to say we haven't forgotten it we've rejected it outright it's called sabbath now you're 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 thinking I'm about to just talk about going to church that's part of it but that's not all of it and our culture as a whole has stood in the face of God and said, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> oh, everybody say, come on, Pastor. I told you it's going to be challenging. Open your hearts, open your minds. Literally, I'm asking you, open your hearts and open your minds right now, because what I'm about to share with you could revolutionize your life. It could change your life. Why is it that in America, we are the most medicated country there is, and the western part of the world is the most medicated part of the world, yet we are the most sick, the most uh, uh, heart problems, the most stress issues? Listen, I've been in countries where people have nothing, and they're not as stressed as Americans are. (laughs) Okay, all right, it's just me up here. Sabbath doesn't just mean to rest in terms of physical rest. Are you with me? I'm not going to take you past 12, so just hold on. I'm going to try not to. The worship just thought they would just go forever, so I've just got my time. I'm joking. They were great. The, the word rest, how many of you understand that Jesus, God, when he created the earth, he didn't need physical rest. God does not need physical rest. He's self-existent, self-sustaining. He needs nothing to exist. He doesn't need rest. He's not tired. How many of you are glad God's not tired? Like when you have a problem, you go to God, you're glad. He's not, man, I am too tired to mess with you today. Let me have a nap, then we'll talk. Sabbath doesn't mean rest as much as it as much as it means stop, stop, relax, rest, refresh. So why does God want us to stop? Well, well, the first reason He wants us to stop is for physical or spiritual focus. Because when we're going so much and we fill our life up with so much and we have no margins, there is no room for spiritual focus. There's no room for spiritual growth. There's no room for spiritual change. The, the, The second reason God wants us to stop is for a break mentally, physically, and emotionally. Some of you can't figure out why your mind is so full and why you're so stressed out and why you can't seem to get it all done. You're doing it to yourself. He wants you to stop for a break mentally, physically, and emotionally. And then why else does God want us to stop? He wants us to stop to develop trust in him. The reason he told the children of Israel to stop, he told them to have the Sabbath. That's once a week you stop. And then he told them every seven years, I want you to stop sowing seeds. Stop harvesting. Stop doing all of it. Let the land rest. We now know I was in a village in Ethiopia. Everybody's starving, not because they don't have food, but because there's no nutrition in their food. Why? Because they didn't know how to let the land rest. He's saying, let the land rest. It's a trust. It's saying, God, I'm going to stop because I don't believe it's my efforts that are fixing my life. I don't believe it's me that's providing for me. I don't believe that it's me that has to make everything work. I believe it's you. And so I'm willing to just stop because if I, if I stop, I'm saying to you, I trust you that everything's just going to keep going. Everything's going to work. The business is going to work out. People are going to work out. Relationships are going to work out. My kid's still going to get to play ball. Y'all with me? So why church then? God wants us to stop for the reason why church. Truly putting our spiritual life at the top by starting each week with a total focus on God. So what, what that Sabbath is supposed to mean is, first, a spiritual focus. In other words, get time with God that's uninterrupted. And then secondly, we, we, uh, we get that opportunity to edify and build up our faith. Truly putting our spiritual life at the top by starting each week with a total focus on, on God. In other words, we stop to put God first. And then why church? Because it equips us to carry out the will of God during the week. One of the reasons that we don't go to church sometimes is because we, we don't feel like we need to be equipped because we're not doing anything for God during the week. So why do I need to be equipped? Because I'm just living my life. I'm not, God's not doing anything. I'm not telling anybody. I'm not sharing. I'm not serving in, in, in that way. So we've got to change our mindset and say, God wants me to stop. So I'll focus, be equipped so that my life will begin to manifest that serving in the community for the purpose of bringing people to Jesus. Are y'all with me? And then to edify and to be edified. Why the church? To be edified and to edify. We want to lift each other up. We want to encourage each other. Don't just run out of here like cattle when I dismiss you today. Don't do that. Come on, please don't do that. Stop for a minute. Walk slowly through the crowd. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them to come and join your small group. Commit to be in there. Come on, connect. Edify. You're going to make it this week. Scotty, you're going to have a great week. God's going to bless your week by the power of His Holy Spirit because you're committed to Him. He's going to protect you he's going to provide see that's what we do when we come together we lift we encourage we stir up, up one another to good works come on are you with me and then, and then the, the last thing why church is for the discipleship of ourselves and our families how are we going to disciple our families if we're not equipped to disciple our families church does that so what does stopping do for us everybody say this word with me on three say stop on three. One, two, three. Try it again with some emphasis. One, two, three. Here's what it does. It's part of the peace process. We want to have internal peace. We want peace in our lives. And we ask God to give us that peace supernaturally, and He will. But giving us that peace supernaturally is only a part of the process. Another part of the process is that we create margins in our lives so that we can stop and we can relax and we can refresh and we can spend time with our family and we can worship our God. Part of the process, we create margins in our lives and not turn our lives and run our lives to the busy edges. We can't ask God, listen to me very carefully, we cannot ask Ask God to give us peace, and then live in a way that steals peace from us. You can't say, "God heal me," and then keep up with the same behaviors that are making you sick. It recreates a new rhythm when we stop. It new, it, re- it recreates a new rhythm and pattern for the generations after us. We are raising a busy generation. We're raising a generation that's so busy that they're not going to be satisfied with their marriages. They're not going to be satisfied with their homes. They're not going to be satisfied with their jobs. They're not going to be satisfied. We're already seeing it. Employers are already freaking out because we've made a generation that's pushing so hard that if it's not that, then they're not happy. And and the last thing is we need to understand the seed and the sower. One of the soils that smother the seed when Jesus talks about there was a seed, the word, and how he sowed the seed, and there were different ground, top types of ground. Well, one of the types of ground that stole the power of the seed and didn't allow the seed to bring fruit was busyness and the deceitfulness of riches. We're living in that season right now. And church, we have to make a decision. We're going to be different. We have to make a decision. We're not going to let this destroy us. We're not going to let busyness steal the fruit of God in our lives. What if we all just decided? Everybody look at me and focus on me for just a minute. Listen to me. I'm I'm imploring you as your pastor today. What if we all just decided we're going to simplify our lives by starting to truly honor the Sabbath? Sabbath. That if we all just decided we're going to be the church, we're going to go to church, we're going to serve the church. And we're going to begin this by taking every Sunday just to stop and say today I'll be focused on corporate and personal worship. It will be for the family community. And it will be for the rest and refreshing that we so desperately need so that we can carry out our busy week. We will just stop. Regardless of what everyone else is doing, this is the problem. Let's just be honest. This is the problem. We don't want to admit that the reason I won't stop is because everybody else won't stop. Really? Are you going to let everybody else's constant busyness steal the spiritual fruit of your life? It's killing us. Not just from a spiritual perspective. It's killing us physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. It's killing us. And I want you just to listen to this. The Ten Commandments say this. You shall not have no other gods before me. How many you agree with that? That's, that's not a hard one. I'm not going to go start a false religion or serve a false religion. I'm going to follow Jesus. Everybody say, that's a good commandment. The next one is, you shall not make idols. Okay. Well, I think that could be... That we, may, we may walk the line with that because there are things we put before God. And anything you put before God is an idol. But here... He's saying, don't make graven images. Don't make an idol that you would set up and worship. Number three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that mean? Don't take the name of your Lord and God in vain. Don't cuss? No, that's not what it means at all. It's talking about taking God's name for granted. Not honoring the name of the Lord. Number four, no, let's go to five. Number five, how many of you would agree that honoring your father and mother probably a good idea? Have no problem with that. How many of you would agree that you shall not murder? Probably a good commandment. Everybody agree? How about this one? You shall not commit adultery. Y'all, y'all think that's pretty good? It's probably a good idea if you want to save your family. You shall not steal. Everybody okay with that one? How about you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor? Good one. Everybody shake your head at me. That's good. I can can get with that. And then 10, you shall not covet. Now, isn't it interesting that we are fine with all of those, and we do those for the most part. But right in the middle says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We've just pushed that one off the list. Amen. You say, well, Pastor David, I'm not under the law. I'm under grace. I don't know why that's the sound of your voice. But before you say that, remember, Jesus and Paul both said that when we follow the two greatest commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, that you will fulfill all ten commandments. They both taught that, and they both believed it, and they both shared that. Why? Because if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, you put God first, you do no ill to God. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, you do no ill to your neighbor. And all Ten Commandments, the first five to God, the second five to people, love God, love people. So it's a mandate. It's a model. We need to schedule the stop. We need to decide. That's it. It stops. Well, my coach won't let my kids play if I don't play on the weekends. Tell them God is more important. But my boss says, I have to do this and that. Get your work done during the week. Do you know in our country, you used to not work on Sunday? Stores weren't open. There were some restaurants that weren't even open. Look how blessed Chick-fil-A is. And they close every Sunday. Oh, y'all, come on. Don't look at me. I just don't know how I could do that. Get your, get your raincoat off. Get up under the water. And say, God, pour your spirit on me. I'm making you most important. Come on. So let's just all make a commitment today that we're going di- to be disciples. And we're going to be disciples starting with our families. Let's just decide that we're going to focus on our family's faith by seeking God through prayer that we're going we're gonna to focus on our family's faith by studying God's word. We're going to focus on our faith by instructing our families in God's word, serving the church by being the church, going to church and serving the church. And if we do this, it'll be life-changing. If we do it, it'll be life-changing for ourselves and for the generations that follow. So the question is, will we be the person who builds our house on the rock or will we build our house on the sand? And let me just tell you, when storms come, Like the pandemic. Churches all over the place. I'm talking to pastors all over the place. People have just disappeared. Just not come back. Because you know why? Their house was built on the sand. That's it. So what will we be? That's the question. Amen? Come on. Did y'all receive that this morning? We got got so many Christian families in this community. If we would all just take this seriously, all that mess would stop and the calendar would start to fit our schedules. Amen. You might want to use that leverage. Everybody say amen. (laughs) I know I can hear like, oh, that's going to be hard. Just do it. I ain't letting somebody else run my life. Only Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. Bless it, in Jesus' name. Help us to learn from it, even if it's challenging. Oh, God, it is so challenging to us. But let us learn from it. Let us take it. Let us receive it. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You can... Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.